You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. And today we're going to be talking about the minor leagues. We're going to be talking about the Rule 5 draft, which I did a little bit of a primer for in the past. But the Marlins went out and made two acquisitions on Rule 5 day, technically only making one selection, then trading for another selection which was Zach Pop, who came over from the Diamondbacks. I believe he was selected sixth overall in the Rule 5 draft. A great pickup in Pop, which I will talk about in a moment. Paul Campbell, also the Marlins selection in the Rule 5, a pickup I really like. He was one of my favorite candidates for the Marlins to pick up in this Rule 5 draft because of some of the peripherals around his stuff, which I will get into as well. Also going to talk about what these two pickups that will presumably go to the bullpen mean for the Marlins offseason plans. Does it change anything and how does it impact their addressing of the bullpen the rest of the way? I will talk about that as well. But let's start with Zach Pop, who I think is one of the most high ceiling type of arms you could have got in this Rule 5 draft. There were some concerns around the fact that he has not pitched in some time due to Tommy John surgery back in May of 2019, but it seems like he should be ready to go come spring training time. And assuming that he is the same pitcher that he was before the injury, he is somebody that is very worth being excited about. And I think the Orioles really, they had a roster crunch. And the real reason why they did not protect him, I would assume, is that they just were hoping that nobody was willing to take a chance on Pop with the arm issues and kind of overlook him. Unfortunately, that backfired. And I got a couple notes from Orioles writers reaching out to me saying, do you think the Marlins are going to hold on to Pop? And I said, of course, I would be shocked if they went out and traded for him after the Rule 5 draft to not plug him into the bullpen, especially given their need in the bullpen. You know, why do you, why do you ask that? And both of the Orioles writers basically said, I think Pop has the makings to be a closer in the major leagues if he's healthy and he continues to improve upon his command like he has in the last couple seasons. This is pretty disappointing for the Orioles to not protect him. They were banking on him probably just not being selected due to the Tommy John surgery, and that obviously didn't end up being the case. So definitely somebody that the Orioles, or at least those around the Orioles, are not thrilled to see go has been a top 30 prospect pretty much since the word go in his minor league career because he got off to such a hot start. was a big part of the Manny Machado deal that sent Machado over to the Dodgers and sent Pop from the Dodgers where he was a seventh round pick over to the Orioles. He climbed three levels in that season where he was traded in 2019 before the Tommy John surgery in just one year to climb three levels. Very impressive. But that was because of how efficient and how dominant he really was throughout that season. He was unhittable at times. I mean, when you look at the numbers, he's got a 96 to 98 mile per hour power sinker that has reportedly touched triple digits, then a mid-80s slider that is a pretty solid pitch as well, 55 
grade, maybe fringe 60 grade pitch. So you're looking at a good two pitch combination there, pretty electric stuff. And that's why opponents in his career at the professional level are hitting just 173 off of him. And that's a very impressive figure. Yeah, he has not pitched too, too much in the minor leagues in his career because in 2017 was the year he got drafted, only threw five innings in rookie ball. Then 2018 was the year that he actually climbed three levels. That's my mistake. I had said earlier that he climbed three levels in 2019. It was just double A in 2019 for Zach Pop. That's where he threw 10 innings before going down and had a sub one ERA. But he did cross three levels in 2018, going 16 innings in A ball, 27 innings in high A, and then 21 innings in double A. Then just to circle back in 2019 and continue that domination in double A before unfortunately going down with an arm injury. Probably the most intriguing stat around Zach Pop is the fact that two-thirds of the hitters that Pop has faced in his professional career have either hit the ball into the ground or struck out, which is an absurd stat and has the makings of somebody that could be a back end of the rotation arm. And again, just somebody that if you're getting in the Rule 5 draft, you got to be excited about that. We'll see how he is when he comes back and see you know, if the stuff is still there, if there's any command issues, if there's a little bit of rust for Zach Pop, but I think you have to take a chance for $100,000 to take a chance on a guy like this that has just such high ceiling stuff. I'm very excited about this pickup for the Marlins, and he could slot into the back end of the bullpen if he is the guy that he has looked like in his minor league career where he has pretty much had elite numbers with a 1-3-4 ERA, a .91 whip, and only surrendering one home run in 80 and a thirds innings and only 48 hits. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. And this is not somebody that's doing it at rookie ball. He's done this now at the AA level. The real question is health. He's still relatively young, only 24 years old, a big guy at 6'4", 220. Definitely an exciting prospect to be able to pick up. Another guy that the Marlins got in this Rule 5 draft, which I've talked about a little bit in the past, so you probably have heard this name already, in the podcast, but Paul Campbell from the Rays, a pickup I really liked. The numbers not as sexy, but very steady and very solid. Campbell has been more of a swingman than Pop, who has been pretty much set in stone as a reliever, has even picked up eight saves in his minor league career, while Campbell has made quite a bit of starts, quite a few bullpen appearances as well. I would say more starts than bullpen appearances but has the ability to go either way. I think he's a great swingman type of candidate with the stuff that he has. The K numbers, not fantastic. Swings and misses are not a huge part of Paul Campbell's game, but he has shown throughout the minor leagues that he's able to be effective without getting those swings and misses. Another guy that has shown that he can pitch and get outs and be solid and steady in the higher levels of the minor leagues. In 2019, he went from a high A to double A. In high A, his numbers were solid, a 4.12 ERA, but a 3.27 FIP, a solid whip. I'm just rhyming here now, if you're following along. So an FIP of 3.27, a WHIP of 1.17, then gets the move up to double A, where the numbers were even better, which you love to see. He had a solid ERA there, of 3.36. He made a few more appearances out of the bullpen, but still made 11 starts, five spots out of the bullpen, 85 and two thirds innings, 
only 63 strikeouts, which I'll get into in a moment. The strikeouts, not really a big concern for me because he's able to get a lot of weak contact, and I'll explain why. I think Fangraphs did a good job of breaking this down, and I also reached out to some people who were able to kind of break down Paul Campbell for me as a Clemson Tiger and somebody that was not great in college, but just put it together as he went into pro ball, which is the Rays mold, who is the team that drafted him and saw something in him for sure. And what did they probably see? On top of the fact that he had some good raw stuff, it was the spin rates that are absurd. And this is where I'm going to get a new metric introduced to you. You might have heard of it, but you might not have. You've definitely heard of the name as it's named after one of the most prized free agents in this year's class. Bauer units. is That's an actual thing. Bauer units. And what is a Bauer unit? Basically, it's just fastball spin divided by fastball velo. And there's a direct correlation between higher fastball velo and higher fastball spin. Of course, the harder it goes, the more it's going to spin. But there are some outliers that don't throw as hard, but have a really high spin relative to their velocity. So maybe their spin rate is more on par with a 98 mile an hour fastball spin rate, but they only throw 93. What does that do? It creates deception and perceived velocity. And also, as I've talked about a lot in this podcast and the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast, is the huge thing with spin rates is if you spin it the right way, especially with your fastball, it's going to have that perceived rising action that is very highly coveted because it is more effective to get swings and misses and chases up in the zone than just throwing hard, and the, and the data would back that up. The data for Paul Campbell backs that up as well, and that's why you see some really interesting figures that I think are, at this point, with over 200 innings pitched in his professional career, can point towards you being able to count on some of this stuff. So the fastball is really 91 to 94, tops at 96, but over 2,600 RPMs, which is insane. He gets high spin rates on the curveball and slider, also has a good feel for the changeup. But what stands out for me is how much weak contact he gets and how often he is able to get guys to chase up in the zone. The thing is, is he doesn't get as much swing and miss up in the zone as maybe some pitchers with that high of a spin rate, but he does get a lot of hitters to miss well under the ball and pop up. That's why his infield fly ball rate is ridiculous at 20% last year in A, which is way, 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 way above average. The other figure that has been very impressive to me, and this is sort of a way of typically hedging BABIP, so it can often point towards regression, is home run to fly ball rate, but with somebody like Paul Campbell that has the peripherals to point towards a solid home run to fly ball rate, and he has kept it steady throughout his entire minor league career. It's just a good figure for him, and an example of the fact that he's able to keep the ball in the yard. I wouldn't take it as much as a point towards regression because he has done it for so long now, and it makes sense given his arsenal and spin rate. But his home run to fly ball rate is just 6%, which is just on the border of elite, meaning that a large, large percentage, 94% of the balls hit in the air off of him are staying in the yard, which is incredibly impressive. Mostly the league average is around 10 to 11%, but you see it probably getting even higher and higher with the way the game is now. And you imagine that that will bode very well for Paul Campbell going into a pitcher's park 
like Marlins Park, where it is just way more spacious, and you'll get away with some deep fly balls. So if he's getting that many infield fly balls, he's keeping that many fly balls in the yard, you can imagine that Paul Campbell is going to have some success with the Marlins. I really think he will as a long reliever and as somebody that can make some spot starts. Just gives this team that didn't really need it even more starting pitching depth and young starting pitching depth. So you wonder if that might make the Marlins a little bit more comfortable to deal in Eliezer Hernandez maybe when they know that they have just an extra contingency plan in the meantime to be able to make some spot starts. I'm not saying that Campbell is the guy that pushes Eliezer out the door, but when you consider now adding Campbell to the mix of Edward Cabrera, of Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett, and Nick Neidert to go on and on and on. You wonder if they might be more comfortable shipping somebody, doesn't have to be Eliezer, maybe Neidert, somebody along those lines, out the door because Neidert is kind of a similar guy for the Marlins right now as a spot starter and a long reliever, still trying to find a spot into the rotation. If he doesn't, he's going to be a long reliever and kind of swingman type of role. Campbell can do that, and you could probably get some more value out of Neidert just floating an idea there. I'm going to talk about what the Marlins need to do with this bullpen, and even though Pop slots into the back end potentially if he's going right, and Campbell is a solid middle relief option, the Marlins should not be content with what they have now, and there's a no-brainer option out there. As a couple pieces have fallen out of the mix in terms of availability with the top bullpen options in the free agency realm, but the Marlins still need to go make a move. There's so much talent still out there. I'm going to talk about why I think I've really come around to the idea of one guy, and it would be a reunion. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has 18 delicious flavors, all pretty much taste like a dessert. My favorite is either lemon almond cheesecake or caramel brownie. They also have just about any other dessert flavor you can imagine. But the best part of all is that they're great for a keto diet. They are low in fat, low in sugar, high in protein, low in carbs, and low in calories. What else would you want from a protein bar that is perfect for the guy that is trying to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat? And best of all, if you go to BillBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. That's BillBar.com promo code Locked On for 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. So real quick, someone that I just continue to warm up to the idea of joining this Marlins ball club is Brad Hand. And that might not be a surprise. I know plenty of people have been floating the idea of Brad Hand. But the more I think about it, the more it just is a no-brainer, especially with the fact that he should not be a free agent right now. The Indians, or you can no longer call them the Indians, that is also a big news type of story the last day, is we'll see what the Cleveland baseball team will now be called, as they will no longer be going by the Indians. Another interesting uh, development in sports, we saw the Washington football team not really come up with a name in time. So I hope that the Cleveland baseball team will come up with a name before the season starts because I'm not going to lose sleep over not being able to call them the Cleveland Indians, but I will be annoyed if I have to remember to call them the Cleveland baseball team. So let's hope that baseball 
it does not follow in the NFL's footsteps with that one and comes up with a name before the season starts. We'll see where they go with that. Maybe something came out already and I missed it, but we'll see what the latest is with that. I digress as always, but I will come back to Brad Hand, who for that Cleveland baseball team, I'll call him for now, had the league lead in saves because he is very, very solid and has been very solid since he was claimed on waivers by the Padres in 2016. Just another left-handed starting pitcher, kind of like Andrew Miller, that just did not get it going for the Marlins as a starter and then really figured it out as a reliever. The thing about hand is the Marlins need somebody that can get lefties out at a ridiculous rate. I feel like every good bullpen has just a lefty murderer, just a lefty killer that is going to create fits for hitters. And as I mentioned before, the NL East is loaded with premium, premium, left-handed hitting bats when you go from Bryce Harper to Juan Soto to Freddie Freeman and that's just naming a few so there's so many good left-handed bats in this division I mean maybe some of the best left-handed bats in the entire game not only would Brad Hand be the Marlins closer but as I'd mentioned in the past the closer role is in some manager's eyes a little bit antiquated where it's just wherever the biggest three outs are so if you're coming into the eighth inning and you've got several really good left-handed hitters do up, that's your real save situation. It's the eighth inning. Because then if it's just a couple bottom-of-the-order guys in the ninth, you're not going to save hand or whoever your closer is for the ninth when the bigger three outs are in the eighth. I think we've gotten to the point now where that makes the most sense. And the Marlins need somebody that they can go to. Not only just a closer guy, you kill two birds with one stone by going to get a Brad Hand because he can get those big three outs if it's a left-handed hitter. But also, the new rule does not really affect Brad Hand because he's great against lefties and righties. As I mentioned, he led the league in saves last year. you got to be able to get both lefties and righties out to be an elite closer. And Brad Hand has been just that, over 100 saves in his career. And really, the saves didn't start until 2016. So he has really been one of the better closers in baseball when he has that established role. He's often been kind of going back and forth from setup man to closer. But again, that's because of the nature of the position nowadays and that it's not just you only pitch the ninth. I don't care if it's Aram Layton batting in the ninth inning. You will pitch in the ninth. And whoever hits in the eighth, I hope that our setup man gets him out because that's the way it works. I think we've gotten far away from that now. And that's one of the analytical type of takes that I actually agree with wholeheartedly. And it makes the most sense. Get the three most important outs. You don't know when that save will be. Maybe it's in the seventh. Maybe it's in the ninth. But it might not always be in the ninth. Could be in the eighth as well. So I like that for the Marlins. Would help them with lefties immensely. I don't think you need to lean on Stephen Tarpley as being able to get left-handed hitters out or whoever of Braxton Garrett or Trevor Rogers doesn't end up going into the rotation. The Marlins need somebody more established. And other than Richard Blyer, who was very consistent, he's not a big swing and miss guy, even though he's tough against lefties. This needs to be the pickup for the Marlins. If they don't go Brad Hand, they need to go higher ceiling than Blake Trinan. I think if you're going to save two, three million dollars a year, it's going to take a two-year deal for almost any of these relievers, I think then what's the point of saving two, $3 million and going way below in terms of talent? I think Brad Hand is a full head above Blake Trinan or some of those options. Just pay the extra million or two or maybe three for one premium back-end guy, especially if you addressed, as I had said in the past, the Marlins needed to get multiple relievers. I think that they went the 
price cautious route, which was fine. I like the strategy here because Zach Pop could easily be better than some of these multi-million dollar reliever options if he is continuing to be the arm that we saw in the minors. And Campbell is a good filler. So they go the cheaper route there, then you better pony up and get one guy and you'll still be ahead of the curve. Instead of getting two mid-range guys, get one expensive guy that it'll probably even out or be even a little bit cheaper. Given the market today, nobody's going to be paying big bucks in more than two years for a reliever. As I would mentioned on Twitter, just about every highest paid reliever right now is kind of an atrocity of a deal. So it's definitely not the best time for relievers to be asking for high-end contracts, and that's why I think we saw Brad Hand get $10 million declined. He's not going to get $10 million. It's going to be less than that. Then it's worth it for the Marlins, and I think it makes the most sense. Two years, $14 million. Two years, $15 million. No-brainer for the fish, and I hope they do it. If not, maybe there's some other options there. There are plenty in the free agency realm. I think Brad Hand makes the most sense as a lefty, but there are definitely some solid back end of the rotation options. I think with the Zach Pop pickup and Campbell, you can get away with just doing maybe one back-end arm, adding them in free agency, and then looking elsewhere to see if you want to do anything else. But right now, it's been incredibly boring, and hopefully the Marlins do something soon. I will say it was a good Rule 5 draft for the team. They came away as good as a team can for a draft that is really just all about the unknown. Solid pickup by the Marlins. We'll see who the player to be named later was for Zach Pop. I am interested to see that, but I doubt it'll be anything too substantial. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.